Whew, I made it. Welcome to part two of God Problems When God is Late. See what I did there? Watch out, watch out. Next week, part three, when God is stubborn. Uh, like I said, we're in a series right now called God Problems. And uh, just out of curiosity, who, who remembers Window 90, Windows 95? Come on, put your, it's okay, right? Yes, those screens, it gets so like, oh man, too much. Today we're going to talk about some of those times when we know the heart of God, we know the character of God, we know he's a good God who loves us and wants to do good things for us, and then he just doesn't. Like, like for whatever reason, he, just, he doesn't show up on time, he's, he's late, he, he just kind of delays and hangs out, and we wonder why in the world that is, why he would keep us waiting. And nobody, none of us, like to wait for anything. We don't like to wait for airplanes. We don't like to wait for Netflix to buffer. We don't like to wait for red lights to turn green. We don't like to wait. Uh, uh, it's probably about a year and a half ago now that uh, some things were like going on in my life. I wanted to see some more progress in. I wanted to kind of like take a big jump forward and I couldn't understand why it was that God would just have me wait and, and just kind of hang out. So I went to a mentor of mine to ask like, what's the deal? Like, what, is God gonna show up? Is there something that I'm doing wrong that I should be doing differently? And he said, the hardest advice that he's ever given me, he was, Dirk, be patient and keep waiting. Like you're doing the right thing. Just hang in there and give it some more time. And it's so hard for me to hear that. So hard for me that there would just be this intentional kind of waiting along the way. And along the way, in the waiting and in the delaying of God, we start to think maybe a couple different things. We start to think maybe number one, that God doesn't like us very much. <laughs> I mean, maybe in like the grand scheme of things and like the big picture, like God for sure loves the whole world, but maybe he just doesn't like me and that's why he's delaying and that's why he's waiting. And the other one in the waiting that we start to think is maybe this waiting time is just wasted time and nothing is actually happening. Nothing is actually going on behind the scenes. Well, this morning we're gonna hear a story about a story that flies in the face of those two things. As number one, that we're going to see that God likes this person and that he keeps waiting in the story. We're going to see so many times John, the author here, tells us that God loves this person so incredibly much, yet keeps him waiting. And we're also going to see that even though the time is waiting time, it's not wasted time. That God is, in fact, doing something in Incredible, something unexpected through it all. We're going to go to the story now. I invite you to turn in a Bible to John chapter 11. We have Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. The page number's on the program. You can also find it uh, by watching the words on the screen behind me. John chapter 11. And I'm just going to kind of it's a, go through the story and make a few comments on it along the way because maybe you want to remember some of the truths that God gives you. We say a dull pencil beats a sharp mind any day in remembering those. John 11 starts off in verse Verse one, it says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. It's not just any person. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. So this is, this is like the three amigos, uh, Lazarus, Mary, Martha. They're all siblings, the three of them. It's like a this is us kind of situation, pre-crockpot fire. I didn't ruin it for anybody. But by now, I mean, you should know. Like this is, three, the three of them are close. And this is not... 
It's not the first time that Jesus bumps into these people. In fact, Jesus had been to their house previously for dinner. When Jesus went there last time, Luke remembers it from, uh, wrote it down from Luke chapter 11. And, uh, and Luke is telling the story. Uh, Jesus comes to town and Mary and Martha open up their home. They're sisters, they're living together. And, and Jesus comes into town. Now it's both of their house. So you think both of them bear the responsibility of like, like getting ready to have Jesus over. They're just dividing up the labor. But the labor is not divided up evenly by any stretch. Martha Martha's the one who's getting like everything to go. To know Marcia is to, or to know Martha is to know Martha in motion, right? The pictures of her at the scene, you don't see her because she's all just blurry. She's like the flash across the screen. She doesn't stand still. She has Jesus over, presumably for pot roast and mashed potatoes, uh, like a good person. And she has, she has the rabbi, the teacher over getting everything ready, right? Mashes the potatoes, adds butter to them, um, get, chopping up vegetables, adds some butter to the mashed potatoes, sets the oven, sets the table, gets everything ready, puts more butter in the mashed potatoes. This is the way you like them around here, right? And, and getting everything all set. And her sister, Mary, literally is just sitting there doing nothing. Nothing except for sitting at the feet of Jesus and just kind of like soaking everything up. That's Martha. And that's Mary. Martha gets so furious at her sister. She does a very good Midwestern indirect kind of complaining by not going to Mary, her sister, but going around her to Jesus and saying, Jesus, do something about my sister, Mary. I'm not going to tell you how that story ends because you're going to have to go home and read the Bible for yourself to figure it out. But that's the kind of people and we're going to see it played out again, that Mary and Martha are. And now we're introduced to a new person, their brother, the third in the three amigos, named Lazarus. Verse 3, the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus. And this is what the word said. Lord, the one you love is sick. Like they don't even have to tell him who it is that's sick. They just say, hey, by the way, Jesus, your best friend is sick. And Jesus doesn't have to wonder which best friend? Which, which friend is? He knows the one he loves, Lazarus. His good buddy is sick. We're going to see this story play out a number of times. And it gets worse before it gets better, just as a heads up. And what I want us to see is what happens, happens, not because Jesus, not because God doesn't like Lazarus, not because God doesn't love Lazarus and Mary and Martha, but just the exact opposite. It's because he loves them so much, he lets this happen, not just to him, but also to them, to Mary and Martha. Verse four, when he heard this, when Jesus gets word, Jesus said, now hang on, before we get into the, take the slide off here, because I missed the part. Think about this, think about what this perspective, the story was from, from Mary and Martha's side of things. Lazarus is their brother. Lazarus has like an ace up to sleeve, right? Because the best friend of Lazarus is Jesus. The one and only Jesus. So you imagine the story from Mary and Martha's perspective, and they're caring for their brother, Lazarus. And he's getting worse and worse and worse, which is why they call Jesus in the first place. And they're changing his sheets. Actually, Martha is probably the one changing the sheets and, and keeping him cool or hot or blanketed or whatever needs to happen, trying to feed him, nursing after him. Mary's probably just sitting in the corner. Martha is caring for the brother, for Lazarus. And the whole time, she's telling him, Lazarus, don't worry. It looks bad. But your brother or your friend, 
is Jesus. Don't worry, Lazarus. It's going to be okay because you're best friends with God himself. Don't worry, Lazarus. We've seen him give sight to the blind. We've seen him give hearing to the deaf. We've seen him tell, tell paralyzed men to stand up. And it was incredibly awkward until they stood up. Don't worry, Lazarus. You're going to be okay. We sent word to Jesus. He's probably on his way as we speak, except he's not. Listen in verse four. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No. Now listen, he creates an entirely new category for why these things happen, why bad things happen, why it happens. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now that's a hard thing to hear because you get what he's saying. He's saying this sickness that has taken a hold of my best friend, the thing that's hurting him, the thing that's bringing his health down, the thing that's, bring, that's threatening his very life, it, it is for God's glory so that it, can glorify the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Now, like the ramifications of this thing, church, are just huge. Because you know what that means. That means your it, whatever it is, is it in order for it to glorify God. So whatever, whatever your thing is, and, and think, like, what's your it? What's your thing? Maybe you're sitting next to your it this morning. Don't poke, I can see. It's light enough in here. I can, don't, just eyes forward, it's fine. Maybe you're parenting it. Maybe you're worried about going back to it tomorrow morning. It is school. It is work. It is this job that you've entirely lost passion for. And you're wondering, when, God, when are you going to exercise that kind heart of, you, of yours? And when are you going to take it away from me? And now imagine Jesus speaking into your life and saying, no, 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 it is there so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And it's this entire new category because it's not that God doesn't love you. It's not that this time is wasted. It's so that it can glorify God. How in the world is that going to happen? And the story takes a funny turn after that. Verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. John, in the story, he wants to like take a pause and just remind everybody listening in that in fact Jesus does love Mary, he does love Martha, and contrary to how the story unfolds, he actually does love Lazarus too. It's not that God didn't care about these people. It's not that God didn't like these people. It's not that God doesn't like you. He does. He just has something else in mind. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, Jesus now, stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, Judea was uh, the direction of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Judea was the direction of Jerusalem. Judea was the direction of danger itself. And for the disciples, like watching this whole thing take place, he gets word, his best friend is sick. Jesus should probably go. That's what he does. He heals people after all. He's probably going to go, except for he doesn't right away. 
We don't find out, they don't find out why, not right away. He just kind of hangs out for a little while over here and doesn't really, doesn't really share with them much. Mostly because I think Jesus is more concerned that they understand, that they know the, the heart of God or the person of God, even if they don't always know the plan of God. So Jesus doesn't let them know what the plan is and just says, stay close to me. And so they do. What they're probably thinking is that it was real dangerous for Jesus to be in Jerusalem. In fact, they almost killed him last time he was there, not too long ago. So he doesn't say why they're not going back to Jerusalem. I think everybody just sort of assumes it's because it's too dangerous. But then after two days goes by, and Lazarus is now presumably two days more sick than he was before, now he gets the courage to get up and to go to Judea? I mean, for the disciples, it doesn't make much sense. If we were going to go, we should have gone while Lazarus was still okay. Now he's far worse, and the danger is still in existence. Why are we going now? So they kind of get up the courage to say something. And then listen to this. This is kind of interesting. Verse 8. But Rabbi, teacher, they said, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Listen. Listen to, the, listen to the nouns here. Who's speaking? They said they tried to stone you, and now you're going back. They said, but Jesus, you're going. They said, and you're going. The disciples are like, I don't know if I want to go with you on this trip. I'm not quite sure if this is a trip that I want to take with you. Because Jesus, last time you were there, they tried to stone you. And a fun little historical fact, getting stoned in the first century was different than it was it is in the 21st century. It's not such a great thing that people do intentionally. That was, that was a joke. That's okay. It's okay to laugh in church. We have fun here. It got to. It's a long story. Um, the disciples are going, Jesus, it's, it's just that sometimes when they throw those heavy rocks at you, sometimes they miss you and they hit us. And so let's just... Think about whether or not this is something that's worth the risk to go back. And Jesus has thought about it. He's had a couple of days to think about it now. And this is the answer that he has prepared to give them of why they're going into the, into the center of danger. Jesus replied in, or answered in verse 9, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? I'm sorry, what? I thought we were talking about like living or dying. I, I thought we're talking about your sick friend and Mary and Martha, the people that you care about and love. What are you talking about daylight? It's one of those like, like philosophy questions that somebody asks me, you think that really sounds deep until you think about it for a little bit longer and you're going, why, do I, why am I still thinking about this? Like, like, how do I know why I exist? And you're like, I, why am I still spending time on this? Jesus asks, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Is it a time change day? Like... <laughs> I don't know. And then Jesus goes on and he, and he starts to like fill that out a little bit more. Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see by this world's light. Okay. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. So you trip at night. Thank you for that. Right. That's why that's why I don't like to go camping, because to go to the bathroom, you have to like go up the hill, and you fall down and trip, and you shouldn't have to worry about that on your way to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and call it vacation. Like that's, that's why we do things in the day and at night. So Jesus, 
Jesus now, and the disciples are just staring at him like, what in the world? And another guy's just like, I don't know, just, John, write it down. We'll get to it later. Like, I don't know. Let's put it in the Bible. Somebody, preacher will have to talk about it. Uh, no, seriously, though, seriously. This, this is what I think, what I think he's trying to communicate. What he's trying to communicate is that it's 12 hours of daylight. You have a certain window or you have a certain number of time. You have a season to do certain things and not to do other things. Because once that season is done, we're in another time period, we're in another season, and that season is for maybe something entirely at all. So what I think that, what I think that Jesus is saying is that you have an opportunity during this window of daylight to get done whatever it is that you need to get done that can only be done during this season, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Leverage the season that you're in to accomplish what can only be done in that particular season. So what I'm saying is that um, some of you, potentially, you're in a season of plenty. Uh, like work is good, life is good. You're in a season where it's like, I have more than enough. Chances are God may be calling you in that season to potentially live a more open-handed, a more generous kind of life. Because during this season, you have to be able to leverage what you may not have in another season. Uh, for example, uh, in another season, you may have not that. You may have un or underemployment. And you're looking at life and going, this is not a season where I have a lot to share. Except what you do have on like the, the, the personal wheel of resources is more time potentially than you ever had previous. And chances are during that season, God may be asking you to leverage that season to do what can only be done in that season. Now for Jesus and for the disciples following along when he's talking about you have 12 hours of daylight, he's talking about probably himself. Because throughout the book of John, he's constantly referring to himself as the light of the world. He's constantly referring to himself as the light. And he's warning the disciples, time is getting short and you only have a small window left. You only have 12 hours of daylight and pretty soon the light will go out and I will no longer be with you. There's only a little while that you can literally physically follow in my footsteps. There's only a little while that you could ask me the hard questions of life. There's only a little while that you have to leverage the time that you have with me before I die and before I leave. And you can no longer ask me so directly the questions that you have to ask me. Leverage the season that you're in, whether good or bad, to do here what can only be done here, his disciples taking it in. It takes another turn. Jesus fills it out now, come, again, coming back to Lazarus, and he says in verse 11, after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Now, Jesus assumes that the disciples know that the friend who was sick several days ago and was continually getting more and more sick and now he says, is asleep. Jesus kind of assumes that they know he's talking about death. Like, we're not going to go into harm's way to wake Lazarus up from a nap, right? It's just not worth it. And Jesus kind of regrets his decision to call these particular disciples when his disciples reply, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And he's going like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death. 
thanks, John. <laughs> but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Verse 14, then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And then he says something so incredibly insensitive. It's the most insensitive thing I think that Jesus ever said. It's the thing that I think is probably the most insensitive lines in the entire Bible, verse 15. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that, there it is again, we, so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Now again, think about the ramifications of this. Because what Jesus has essentially said is if I was there, Lazarus probably wouldn't have died because I am the guy who gives sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. I am the guy that heals people of their afflictions. That's who I am and that's what I do. But for your sake, disciples, not his, but for your sake, in fact, I'm taking it all in and I'm saying I'm glad I wasn't there so that you will see and believe. I'm glad Lazarus died so that you will believe. I'm glad he lost his life because there are some things in life more important than life and even death. And that's belief and trust and faith. I mean, that's a huge statement for Jesus to be able to pull back from it all and say, don't you guys realize what's at stake here? Because I'm talking about healing blind people and healing deaf people and telling the paralyzed to stand up and to walk and to dance and to leap. And I think these are great things. And, and the whole world, in fact, looks at this and, and celebrates it and sees them as great things. But Jesus taking it all in and saying, they're signs, but they're not the end. Because the message that I brought goes so much beyond life and even beyond death. In fact, I would allow the death of a friend in order to change the eternity of others. And you're going like, whoa. For, for some of us now, that just, that just wrecks our entire view of who God is and how God works. Because for God to step in and say, I made you as eternal beings. I made you as beings that will go on forever and ever, that, that you have no end point. And as you continue to, to, to grow on and to go on into eternity, you can head in a couple of directions. You could, you could head on into this direction of greed and self-centeredness. And that life, that trajectory, if it were allowed to continue to grow on and go on, on into eternity, might that look a lot like hell? And if you go on and grow on, on into this direction, towards love and towards compassion and towards generosity and towards open-handed kind of living, towards the very heart of God from which we were created, wouldn't that look a lot more like heaven? And for Jesus to say, Life is the first inch in an infinite highway into either direction. And whatever happens in this life, I will use that. And I'm not above using that, life and even death, in order to move the trajectory from one on into another. And I'm not ashamed of that. In fact, in fact, looking back, I'm glad I wasn't there to heal Lazarus so that you would move from here on over to here, so that you would see and then believe. Because in the eternal sense, that's so much infinitely more important to me than a man's life. I mean, what's at stake here for us and our it, your it? 
is that God would in fact use it if in his infinite wisdom he decided that it could possibly glorify him. The car accident, God was using it. The job loss, the marriage problems, God was using it because ultimately belief and faith and trust is so infinitely much more important than the it's of life. And the disciples are taking this all in and saying, wait a second, I thought you were delaying because you were wasting time. I thought it was because you didn't like us or even love us. And Jesus says, no, no, I've got a plan for all of the it's in this world and all of the it's that we could ever possibly experience. But let's go to him, remember, because the story's not done yet. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. This is, this is, so, uh, this is so embarrassing, I think, for, for Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus doesn't care, but the disciples are like heads down, like walking through because they're so incredibly late. Uh, four days, John points out that it was four days because they had uh, not so much a belief system, but a superstition because it's not in the Bible that the soul, the soul actually kind of hovered around the body for three days after death. And then as these early stages of decomposition started to play out, then the soul would see that body drained of blood, all that, and then just leave. And so essentially, John is saying, um, after it was official that there was no hope left, verse 18, and Jesus shows up, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, dangerous place, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother, not Jesus, not his disciples, not right away at least. Verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. Verse 21, Lord, and, and she's yelling now, right? This is, if it was a text, it was all caps. Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, she's standing in the driveway meeting him, his car, camel, or whatever. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you know, she wasn't wrong. <laughs> in fact, Jesus eventually moves in from the driveway and actually goes into the house. And her sister, Mary, the quiet introverted one, she actually also says the exact same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother, Lazarus, wouldn't be dead. But now, four days, all hope is lost. Subtext, Jesus, why'd you show up late? What took you so long? What could have possibly been more important than showing up here? I sent you the text. I, I gave you the message. I know that you got it. I saw the little reply bubbles at the bottom and then they just disappeared for three more days. Jesus, I know that you get my messages. You didn't block me because you had no problem coming over when those pop pot roast and extra butter in the mashed potatoes. You had no problem coming then. Jesus, why did you show up late now? And why did you show up at all? I think it's important to take with it that Jesus, that God really is trying to communicate to us in all those seasons when God shows up late or all the seasons that we're waiting and we think that the time is wasted and I think that what God is telling you is the same thing that he's telling Mary and then Martha. He's saying when we're talking about eternity, when we're talking about belief and hope and trust and faith in the eternal things, he's saying, listen, I want to do something for you. It's in my character, the heart of God, to do something for you. 
But before I do anything for you, I need to do something to you. Well, like I'm waiting, and the time isn't wasted. It isn't the fact that nothing is happening. Things are happening. The waiting time isn't wasted time. But, but, but I'm doing something to you. I'm allowing your heart to be changed. I'm allowing your faith to be changed from over here in this direction to just you on over here into faith and hope and trust into me. I'm at work I haven't forgotten, but before I do something for you, I need to do something to you. And so he waits until that takes a hold in their hearts, until they see this start to unfold and it changes them, not from the outside in, like when we get the answers to our prayers, but it changes them from the inside out, like when we don't get the answers to our prayers. And when Jesus, verse 33, saw her weeping, Mary and Martha, both, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus, now standing outside of that tomb, tears on his face, verse 35, he wept. Jesus wept. It wasn't the case that he didn't love Lazarus, care for Lazarus. It broke his heart, verse 36. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Now, now but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind kept this man from dying? And they weren't wrong. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. And it was a stone, it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance, not unlike his own tomb in a little while. Verse 39, take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a, there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. I think she's twisting the knife a little. But Lord, don't forget, four days it took you to get here. Verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and he, and he prays a prayer that was to God, but he wants to make sure that everybody else listens in because he wants to know who gets, he wants everybody to know who gets the credit. Remember, this is not a story about life and death. This is a story about faith and belief and trust in God. And so he wants to make sure that they see and that they believe, that they look beyond life, that they look beyond death. And so this is the prayer. He prays with like one eye open. He says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may see, they can see it all happening, right? Yep, that they may be believe that you sent me. And we said this, Jesus, he called out in a loud voice, hey, Lazarus, come on out. And how, how embarrassing that would be in the moment for nothing to happen. But verse 44, the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You know why Jesus had to say, take off his grave clothes? 
because nobody else in the history of humanity had ever had to take off the grave clothes before. They knew how they went on. They had plenty of practice putting them on, but nobody had ever prepared to take them off because you never had to take them off. And this dead man just comes walking out of a tomb and they're all frozen with fear. And Jesus is like, you don't want this dead now life guy mad at you. So take off the grave clothes and get him something new to wear. Verse 45, understatement of the millennia. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, many believed in him. You think? He just raised a dead man to life. So he waits. So he delays, not just to waste time, but to do something to them and everyone before he did something for them. Some of you are in a season of waiting and God is, and God is working on you. He's changing you. For some of you, I have a very special message for you because the setback that you are experiencing right now or the setback that you are walking into this week is actually not a setback at all, but a setup for a miracle that God is going to do in your life. He's going to potentially miraculously change you from a trajectory of here to a, to a trajectory of here, from away from God to, to towards the very heart of God from which you were created. And the setback is a setup because God is going to do something incredible. This breakthrough of faith, this breakthrough of belief, this breakthrough of your not just life, but it's not a death and life story, but it of an eternity. It's coming. It's on the way. But if God always, if God always met you and, and did those things that you expected him to do or wanted him to do, he would never have the opportunity to exceed those expectations. And so he brings you into this valley, into this setback, so that he can bring you out of it in a show of force and power, so that he'll capture not just your life, but, but capture your heart in addition to that. This is, this is what I'm talking about. Okay, so I have on my desk, in my office, you can walk by, you can check it out, I've got a, a research Bible. I, it's a research Bible because it's, it's huge, it's massive. You need like a radial flyer wagon to like cart it around. It's not portable. Okay, it's one of those like, study Bibles. We call them the answer Bibles, but all Bibles are answer Bibles, but it's just another point entirely. I brought a picture of what I'm looking at all week as I'm preparing this for you behind me. Maybe in, in front, this is like, this is what I'm, in front, can you tell me, can you say it loud enough? The last two words of the page 1,615 in my research Bible, what are they? Loud enough for the back, what are they? Jesus wept is on page 1,615. I told you it's a big Bible. Uh, page 1615, God is outside of the tomb of his dead friend and it breaks his heart and he weeps. But I already shared with you what happens on page 1616. On 1615, God is weeping over his dead friend. On 1616, God is calling him to come on out and the dead man walks. Some of you are coming into this week ahead and you're going to live a 1615 kind of life and you're going to weep and your friends will weep with you and God, I think, by his Holy Spirit will meet you in that valley and will weep with you and then page 1615 will flip over and it's not a story about death. It's a story about life. Life eternal. And God will have done something to you and in doing so, he will change you and did something 
for you. This week as you as you head into your setback, thank God for it. Because God will be glorified through it. I invite you to stand up and let's pray to the God of all of our it's together. Jesus, we thank you that you meet us in this place of weeping and of crying. We thank you that we don't go through the page 16, 15s alone, but we go through these pages knowing that there's hope on the other side. That, Father, you're going to turn the page in a sad story. God becomes one of joy and one of dancing. That never in your story is death the last word, but resurrection is the last word. God, I pray for that person in the room this morning who's sensing this shift from a life of, of self and centered to a life of open-handed generosity, a life towards the heart of you from which they were created. God, I pray that that person experiences this, this new life, Holy Spirit, of you coming into their heart, of breathing new life into their heart, of, of maybe hope and joy and light for the first time in a long time or for the first time ever. Friends, if God is speaking to you and changing your eternal trajectories, we ask you to head to the table in the back. We ask you to celebrate and to pray with somebody. We ask you to grab one of those cards and check that box that said that I made Jesus my Savior this morning because this isn't a death and life kind of story. This is a story about eternity and about living before the face of you, God. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.